0: Welcome back listener to episode 34 of the better than fiction Bible podcast and right out the gate as always I'm going to remind you that if you're not subscribed on either Spotify iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts Go ahead and do that. That way you're going to get a notification every Tuesday morning when we release a new episode and That allows through the algorithm the podcast to reach a higher and higher audience and speaking of greater audiences um we keep hitting milestone we share with you guys both Nathan Matt and you the listener we share milestones every time we you know oh we have a thousand listeners oh we have 1500 listeners we've actually just passed 1600 listeners and at the time of recording uh Nathan Van Horn you just got back from the Southern Baptist Convention is that right yeah Yeah. now
1: that's 1600 like subscriber listeners
0: Correct. Yeah, we have a lot more people who have just like you know opened the door, leaned their head in, and then left. Right. So we have a lot more of that. But, sure. Uh, but I have ambitions, Nathan. You t- tell me what you think of this. I have ambitions for one day. We have a presence at the Southern Baptist Convention. We <laughs> we have the Better Than Fiction Bible <laughs> booth.
2: Yeah. Mm, I don't know. The, the problem what? is those booths. Those booths are uh, not selling merch; they're giving things away.
0: And, and oh dang! And we would need dang a sponsor it. for that. Well, you you know what? <laughs> That's part of what, that's part of my ambition. Like when, when are we getting sponsors on this podcast? We've got, we're almost big enough, right? Chick-fil-A, if you're listening, Nathan will be more than happy to munch a chicken biscuit on air. Yeah. If like, you only it, cater for the podcast. Yeah, I, I recording. don't, I
2: don't want it to come across like we're shamelessly, uh, shamelessly pandering for money. We're, we don't care about money, but we will work Speak for, for food. We will work for food. I will yeah, absolutely eat.
1: I will absolutely eat a chicken biscuit while recording. Um, so Well, speaking of sponsoring things, it, it reminds me of where we're going today and also of a childhood television love. Uh, any Sesame Street fans out there? I grew up on Na-
0: it. Na- Nathan, I'm, it wasn't me this time. It was yeah. Matt. It was You know me. what?
2: Before Matt does his segue, I need to say this. And y'all mentioned I was at the convention. Um, as Providence would provide... Uh, I was able to have uh, breakfast not once, but twice with Matt's parents uh, Matt, at the convention. Yeah, Matt was,
1: because of my broken shoulder, I was not able to attend the convention.
0: So,
2: um, all, all this to say, Matt's parents are just the most delightful people, but his dad, who is a faithful listener, his, his dad, who is a faithful listener, um, he went out of his way to steal a Segway from me one morning at breakfast, just in keeping with... Um, you know, the negative behavioral patterns he's learned from you people.
0: Uh, stop, hashtag stop the bullying. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, so not to steal the segue, but just kind of talk about where we're going. That's what the segue This means. I know. I know. But not for the purpose of stealing, but just for the purpose of moving us forward. So... Sesame Street. Do y'all remember the whole, like, number of the day, letter of the day, sponsoring the show? this episode is brought to you by the letter and the number, yeah. Yes, the the number 12 and the letter E. (laughs) And then there would be a song and stuff like that. So that any time in the future you thought about that letter or number, you would fall back on the song that it was introduced to you, used to introduce it to you. So... There's that's actually a really good pattern, and we've we've already talked about this some. Um, like we've talked about the whole Chekhov's gun thing. And if you're new to the podcast, uh, Gandalf, remind us
0: Chekhov's gun. What does it mean? Chekhov's gun is a literary device where the author is intentionally drawing your your eyes, or in this case, your mind, to a particular element of the story that's going to be important later. And in the case of Chekhov's gun. Chekhov famously said that if you say that there's a gun above the fireplace, it better go off at some point in the story. Right.
1: It can't be there for no reason. Well, Mm -hmm. there's another way of dropping little breadcrumbs along the way of stitching the story together, and that is the use of vocabulary. Now, we do fortunately have a biblical language specialist, albeit it's primarily New Testament, but his father is a Hebrew professor. So by osmosis he's good at that too. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> but anyway, when it comes to biblical vocabulary, when the word is introduced is important because in Absolutely. the future, in the future when that vocab, that particular word is used, you can go, "Oh, wait a second, I've read this word before." Now, it breaks but, apart. I, but I read it in the context of a story. Correct. Now, it falls apart some because in English, English is not a, a one-to-one translation to Hebrew in every case. You know, the whole, wait a second, there are word-for-word translations. There, there are no exact word-for-word translations. It's just not possible in can, certain cases. There are some yeah, that are I, more so than others. Can I say that the the concept
2: you just introduced is so very important? I mean, I, I read, I, not just read, I studied the Bible for years before I even scratched the surface on that. Like, I remember reading in the New Testament, um, Mm -hmm. uh, one of the most debated concepts uh, in in Paul, and Paul's thought, is, you know, what does Paul mean by justification? What is justification? How does justification work? And that's a debate for another day. Um, But one thing that struck me is, why is it that whenever Paul talks about justification, or justification by faith, why does he always go to Abraham? And it's right. because Paul did exactly what you're talking about. In the biblical story, the first time that we have the language of faith right. is the story of Abraham. Abraham believed, he had faith in God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He was justified, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, I think where you're going is, the Noah story introduces us to several
1: key words that we have not seen so far in the scriptural story. Correct. Correct. So why don't we start? We're going to wrap up the rest of chapter 6 today, but to that's allow a, that's this a tall show... tall order for us. That's a <laughs> that's tall right. order. So this show is going to be sponsored by the word righteous, <laughs> blameless, covenant, and walked. So there's several sponsors today. That's great. You've get, I feel like you've got to have a number too, um, and the number six, since we're finishing up the chapter. For chapter six. <laughs> so, uh, Gandalf, why don't you read verse number nine through twenty-two? That's a tall order, but I think we can knock it out.
0: Oh goodness! And oh, you
1: haven't been going. talking enough in previous episodes, so you will. This is what I get. You will <laughs> do your time, sir. <laughs> there, there are no genealogies right. here. You're good
0: all right well if I, as long as i can get noah's third son we'll be good here all right, all right. this is a, as always from the english standard version these are the generations of noah noah was a righteous man blameless in his generation noah walked with god and noah had three sons shem ham and japheth now the earth was corrupt in god's sight and the earth was filled with violence and god saw the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it the length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, its height, 30 cubits make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door on of the ark in its side make it with lower second and third decks for behold i will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh which is beneath the with which is beneath of life under heaven everything that is on the earth shall die but i will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark you your sons your wife And your son's wives with you and of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you they shall be male and female of the birds according to their kind and of the animals according to their kind of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind two of every sort shall come in into you to keep them alive also take with you every sort of food that is eaten store it up it shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Excellent. That was a marathon. Yahtzee. Yahtzee. Yes, it was. <laughs> so uh, with all on, that on, reading. On this podcast, that's, that's a lot more than we normally do.
1: <laughs> with all that reading, we're going to focus on a few key words. So let's let our vocab specialist walk us through these words. What are these words that are introduced first here and then Talk about the one word that we've already been introduced to, but it comes back again here. Um, okay. So what, so, what are our new so words?
2: Our our new words uh, are blameless in verse nine. Oh, excuse me, righteous in verse nine, mm-hmm. uh, which were uh, it comes from the Hebrew Uh, uh We'll often see it as zedakah, righteousness, the substantive form. Um, like uh, you see it in the name Melchizedek. Right? Uh, mm-hmm. Melech is king. Uh, Zedek or Zedekah is uh, righteous, righteousness. So mm-hmm. Melchizedek, righteous king. Um, the second word that we see also in verse 9 is blameless, um, which is tamim. Um, and the third uh, verse we see down in 8, uh, third word we see down in 18, it's the first instance in the Bible of this crucial, crucial concept covenant, berit. Um, and the fourth one, which we've already seen a few times before, uh, is that Noah Halak, he walked with God.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: and and that, that is an interesting, that fourth one that we've seen so far is an interesting springboard for me because it connects us with earlier narratives. Like, you know, when we were back in um, just one chapter ago, right? Uh, we we heard that one of the descendants of Seth walked with God. It's it's Matt's guy. Matt loves talking about. I'm not. I'm, I'm gonna let you say his name. Who are you, Enoch? <laughs> yeah, man. Matt yeah. loves talking about Enoch. Um. Uh, but uh, Gandalf. Uh, trivia question. When you hear okay. the language of walking with God, um, Chekhov's gun. Where does your mind go in light of the story that we've discussed?
0: I'm thinking of. Man walking with God in the garden. Excellent. Ding, 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 ding. Because who
2: walked with Him first? It was Adam. Adam and Eve. And and by the way, um, you know, we you see the language of all flesh uh, in this passage. Where's the first time that we hear the language of flesh at all? Adam and Eve. Uh, right. All, and Eve. So he, here, all flesh is corrupted. The first time flesh is mentioned is when God opens Adam's flesh to make Eve. Um, so, uh. so, so God God uses flesh to multiply life. They've taken flesh and they've corrupted it. Uh, they uh, I, I, even things as simple as um, this is this is the first time in a while that you see the attention to detail on how Noah is supposed to build the ark. When's the last time? The only time that we've seen this amount of attention going into someone building something. Genesis one, when God creates the heavens and the earth, isn't that interesting? I mean, just. That's so so much in this story ties us back to a story that
1: we've been uh, unpacking for some time now. Also, along with that, this story is in this sense presenting Noah as a new Adam or an Adam remade because as Adam was given charge to tend for the animals, tend to the animals, to name them uh, and to rule over them in the garden in this paradise, Noah is now given charge. To take care of the animals on the ark. And, ha- and and how does he take care of them? One more tie
2: to creation. In pairs, right? Ah, uh, yeah. We put a lot of emphasis on the pairs. That's right. So e- even as we're unpacking uh, new elements of the story, ev- uh, it just keeps tying you back. Um, it keeps tying you back to the story
1: uh, that you have from the beginning. So what we want you all to see is how we are using Walked. We are saying, okay, whatever this means Noah walked with God, it must have something to do with what Adam did. Because it's, it's similar, that there, there's the, a similar idea. So with these other words that are introduced, as we go forward in the story, we want you to do the same thing. And that's what the biblical authors want to do as well. That's it because I mean so the, so walked has a literal
2: component you think of walking with someone uh, but walking also for them has a, a figurative component uh, and that's not only Hebrew but it's certainly Hebrew you know rabbinic Judaism focuses on halakha that's that's applying the law practicing the law and and noteworthy, how does this chapter end uh, with the fact that Noah responds to God's command with obedience So there is a practical component a figurative component to him walking with God. But I also think it's meant to evoke that story. Um, hmm. You know, we were talking about before we started recording uh, Luke 24, after the resurrection of Christ, uh, how does Jesus appear to the disciples? He walks with them on the road, right? And then he uses a meal to to, 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 to trigger their recognition of him. And that's just got Old Testament story written all over it.
1: Uh-huh. Um. So, uh, so You know, Matt, we use this language in the modern day too, though. Like, I, I know we've all been around people and thought, man, they walk with God. That there is, it's not just information and knowledge about God. It's not just righteousness, but the, it, it is abundantly clear they have an abiding relationship. Relationship, I'm John yeah. John 14, John 15 here. In fact, just this last week, I've been doing... Um, a project where I'm trying to meet every member of our church uh, outside the walls of the church if possible. So either in their home, out to lunch, or whether they want to come up and hang out at the church and stuff like that. So I've got, I've got this project. It's going to take me years. But I have really enjoyed that, to get to know the the people that um, I get to share church with each week. And one, one such visit took place this week. It was just a, a blessing. I was with one of our members and, uh, she is in an assisted living place. And y'all, I kid you not. I, I called and told my dad about it. It was so abundantly clear that this woman walked with God with how she talked, with how she prayed, with how she communicated. There was, there was a graciousness, but it was, it was, it sounds so figurative and existential. But it exuded out of her that there was an abiding relationship that she had with God. Now all these visits have been a blessing. I'm just saying this one stood out in such a significant way that this lady walks with God, and uh, so I I think that that component is here too—that abiding relationship, as we understand, walked with God. Well, and again, you know, we're 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 unpacking this stuff,
2: um, walking with God. Again, it's precisely in in the context where this stuff becomes all the more noteworthy. Uh, So like we said in the last episode, uh, we often think of the flood story as something to defend. Um, And in antiquity, you didn't have to defend a flood story. Everyone had one. So how is this one not defended? How is this one distinguished? What really happened? And it's precisely in the context of saying, hey, we all know the flood happened in antiquity. I mean, this thing was everywhere, right? But it's precisely in the context of talking about the flood that God chooses to introduce us to someone who walked with him. And that's the first time that you have the language of someone being righteous, right? Language of righteousness will be enormous in the rest of scripture. It's the first time mm-hmm. that we're introduced to the context of someone being, uh, blameless, Tamim, Tamim. Um, Matt, when, when is this used overwhelmingly?
1: Oh, the sacrificial, the sacrificial system. system. It's, yeah, it's introduced, a spotless lamb.
2: Yeah, it's 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 really unpacked for the first time uh, with not just any lamb. Uh, uh, Passover, right? Right. Um, right. Uh, and so this is man the concentration of tamim in Exodus, uh, Leviticus, and Numbers is just overwhelming. The vast majority of
1: uses in the Old Testament um, uh, come in that sacrificial context. So what you're saying Um, is if that I were a little Jewish boy and dad is reading me the scripture, I just, and he gets to Genesis 6, I just heard him use the language of Passover. My my ears perked up, right. Or
2: or the language of, uh, at at the very least, the language of sacrifice. Right. Um,
1: Yeah, that's true. True.
0: Yeah. Well, I noticed some some common language here. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast or if it's been in pre-recording discussions. But it seems pretty often that an uh, illustration for salvation from God uh, is depicted as being inside of a structure that's laid out by God, right? Because you've got oh, yeah. man, the Passover being inside a house. You've got Jesus later saying, there's many rooms in my father's house. That's, you know, a, being great, inside the ark.
2: that's a great Aha! catch. I'm that's, contributing. That's a great catch. <laughs> again, Eden kind of as the original temple. What was their right. punishment for sin? They were being put out of that. The guy went uh, outside. Put it out of that space. That's a great catch, man. That
1: is a great catch. So um, one of the things is that we talked about in the previous episode is the pushback, where it's like, look at this mean, mean God that just wipes everybody out. He's just so cruel, and he's so heartless, and he's done this to these people. Slander. Um, Why now? <laughs> Slander. Yes. Libel. Yes, yes, yes. Well, one of the things, you mentioned it, I don't think it was in our pre-conversation or pre-recording conversation of comparing this to the book of Enoch, and I'd never thought about that before. Why don't you say that here of comparing and contrasting these stories because the biblical account is gearing up for the idea of a means of protection and salvation where uh, the account from I the of about Enoch that. is you, you very about different. Enoch.
2: Enoch's discussion of the Nephilim,
1: yeah, and and how yeah, Genesis six yeah, doesn't gotcha, do that, but it gotcha. talks about the size of something else.
2: Yeah, that's what's so interesting to me. And again, this is not I'm, I'm not this, this is not necessarily polemic because Enoch's written so long after Correct. Uh, Genesis, right? I, I just do think it's interesting um, how we write about God, what we say about God, it is rooted in our understanding, right, uh, of who God is and how God works. In, in Enoch uh one of the things that we said about these extra biblical sources is that they can be helpful to show us um how how ancient the people text thought. how how ancient people thought how the texts were being understood at very you know at various times and places but they're not scripture and um so, sometimes it's it's really you you see the beauty of what is scripture you see the the beauty of genesis by not comparing it with you not, but by contrasting it and in Enoch, uh, Enoch has this emphasis on how big the Nephilim were. You know, these three thousand cubit, uh, forty-five hundred foot giants, which the Bible, as we've mentioned, says nowhere. In the Bible, right. they don't focus on the size of the Nephilim or the the, the giants. If we follow the Septuagint, uh, what's what's the emphasis on the size of the ark? Ark. In other words, not the size of the problem. <laughs> But the size of the redemptive solution, again, mm. for all the flat God catches about being the angry God who's ready to wipe uh, everything out, you have this structure, this 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 uh, house on the water, or the original lake house, I guess. Um, uh, but you have this structure that's not only preserving life; it's it's representing the preservation of creation in its entirety through all of these pairs, up to and including. Uh, Four pairs of
1: people. Did you all ever see that old, like, uh, it was a Christian movie called The Bible. I think it came out in, like, the 60s or 70s. Did you ever
0: see that one? Yeah, I I know what you're talking about. Right.
1: I always love that scene where it's like Noah and his sons are working on the ark, and, like, the flood is going to come in a few weeks, and his wife calls him in and says, Hey, listen, I know you've been working on this boat, but they're all sitting around the dinner table and says... The roof is leaking on our house so I really need you to like fix that before you move forward with this whole boat thing and Noah kind of has this dumbfounded look like uh, are you kidding me and then his boys are like mom like we don't need to be worried about that and then finally like Noah raised his hands and he just says all right look we'll, we'll fix the roof all right and then he just looks at his boys like just just run with it man it's this is this, this is marriage you, you compromise. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh it's um, actually
0: funny that Nathan you brought you talking about uh, the, the, it's not the size of the Nephilim that's mentioned it's the size of the ark yeah right it's the size of God's salvation reminds me of the great Christian theological work Veggie Tales <laughs> the, the words God is bigger than the boogeyman oh he's ooh, watching out for we, you and me
1: oh we still sing that at my house because I've got some little girls that are afraid of the dark we we know the whole
0: song. He's he's bigger than Godzilla or the monsters on TV. Yes, there you go.
2: that's right. Well, and again, Gandalf. To your point, you know, you captured that house imagery. Um, there's there's always something significant. Like uh, in in Passover, uh, since you went there, it's not just that they're in a home; it's that something significant is happening with the door, right? Covered with the lamb's blood. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when they're kicked out of Eden, it's not just that they're kicked out of Eden. The, it's that there's something stationed at the entrance that keeps them from coming in, right? And, and it's precisely here in the context of God wiping everything out in the flood where who, who is denied entrance to the ark? Uh, basically
0: everyone else.
2: Really? Or is it that everyone else chooses not to come in? Right. Uh, it just stands there. In other, Jew, right? in other words, there. Even, even in the midst set, and set the uh, door of the ark in its side, Um, It it never tells them to stand guard, never tells them to keep anybody off. It's that Mm -hmm. no one else avails themselves of this. You know, it's like we talked about in previous episodes. They're given 120 years, dot, 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 and seven days. Right. Right. And so I I think it's interesting. In in antiquity, you don't have to defend the notion of an area-wide or worldwide flood, variously understood. But it's interesting to me, precisely in the context of that, um, that God is not wiping it out as, as the Epic of Gilgamesh but th- because things are noisy. He does so because he's grieved at how corrupted his creation has become. And even in the midst of that, you know, no one in the Epic of Gilgamesh is calling the gods to give an account for, for flooding the earth. But even in the midst of the biblical story, God shows his grace and compassion Um, This is precisely the story that we're introduced to the language of righteousness, blameless, blamelessness, and importantly, covenant. And covenant is, uh, you have a few covenants, and we'll we'll unpack this more in subsequent episodes. You you, have a few uh, Go ahead. Do you all ever listen to The Briefing by Albert Moeller? Here and there. there. I I Um, I have a pastor friend who listens every day, and if there's a particularly noteworthy episode, he'll... He'll clue me in so that I'm not
1: vastly ignorant. I don't listen. On. I don't listen to all of them, but I'm a bit fond of Dr. Mueller for years. He's, of course, the president of my school. But um, anyway, last week, or actually this this past week, when we we're recording, he talks about is the whole Disney villain theme dead because with the the release of Cruella Deville, they've now oh, Cruella isn't evil. She's just misunderstood. And with the same thing of like Maleficent isn't evil. She's just misunderstood. So what's interesting is the the whole modern trajectory, though. I was reading an article that when, um, for instance, Caesar, uh, um, the play Julius Caesar, when it was performed originally, Shakespeare's play. Yeah. That mm-hmm. when Caesar would march through the Gaul and just wipe everybody out, that People would cheer like Western audiences would cheer as Caesar, as the hero, like, yay, he's wiping out the barbarians. <laughs> they deserve it. But then now when that scene is looked at, it's considered absolutely barbaric. It's just how could he do that? That's just absolutely terrible and stuff like that. So my, my point is, is not arguing for one or the other, is that perception of text shifts like I, I don't think ancients were bothered all that much about the gods wiping out people on the earth i think that those are modern sensibilities that are infused and that's what what i was picking up as oh i you, got know, you. as you were talking about is that it, even though this text is not written for a modern audience even as a modern i can see here this is god not just this is not just a huge lawnmower that God is running over just to kill as many people as he can. No, God sent an ark. I mean, mm. God he could... wasn't happy about it. Right. Either. And, and, and he sent the
2: ark before the flood. And he waited 120 years, dot, dot, dot. And yeah. seven days. And again, and he uses the story of judgment uh, to introduce concepts like covenant that will be bound up with the overarching biblical story of redemption.
1: And also, even though it was not a covenant, the Proto-Evangelion, it's not listed as a covenant, even though some call it, you know, a covenant. Yeah, there's debate of whether that's an assumed covenant. Right. Yeah. But that we see God's commitment here to humanity, because why not just wipe everybody out? God can just wipe everybody out and just raise new humans up. Make a new one. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? It shows God's commitment to his handiwork, God's commitment to his image and at the same time, this is a very sobering thing, because we cannot miss, the flood did come and a lot of people died. Hmm. Like, yeah. It's sobering, like you, you cannot mess around with the holiness and the righteousness of God. But at the same time, uh, there, there's so much to be seen of God here that is so, so, so encouraging, not just a, this is not just a sad story. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, since y'all, since y'all have stolen segues,
2: uh, segues I'm going to self-appoint my guy as wrap-up guy. Okay. Um, what? I'm, I'm kidding. Go ahead.
0: Get <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, he's coming for my job now. Uh, well, we're talking about, it, yeah, it's sobering that a bunch of, yeah, you know, all, almost all of humanity had to die. But just to set up for next week, we're going to talk about uh, significance of animals on the ark. We haven't even gotten to that part. It's probably the second most iconic park, part of Noah's Ark. Um, I just gotta say I would not have shed a tear if the jar containing mosquitoes had just gone overboard (laughs) it would would have suited me just fine but with that we we will talk about yeah I know spiders uh, mosquitoes they could have they could have gone but we will be talking about the animals on the ark and the significance of that next week so be sure to subscribe and tune in for that not tune in but you know what I mean and we'll see you next week
2: see y'all and today's podcast is brought to you by
0: shalom (laughs) good episode i'm stopping